We are dealing with the book of Genesis, and we're into chapter 38, and i got to be honest with you, my friends, it's a tough chapter. In fact, I just previous, just before this, I, I did a Bible class that's viewed by a lot of children, and I had to be really careful. In fact, I gave a disclaimer at the front end saying to moms and dads, you're going to have to deal with the specifics in this chapter. Chapter 38 is a tough one because Judah is going to essentially have a child by his daughter-in-law. And uh, it, it's a tough chapter, but uh, there's there's some applications that need to be made here. And as we are peddling through the book of Genesis, and we're now into chapter 38, I'm going to make them. And I hope that you'll be able to see them and apply them in your own life, and we'll be better people because of it. As you know, we always try to present some questions at the front end, and there they are. If you're part of the School of Biblical Studies, you need to get a screenshot of that. Even if you're not, I guess, screenshot that, and then you can kind of fill in the blanks as we go along. You got it? All right. As I've already introduced to you, in, in chapter 38, we're going to get some uh, brutal details about the lineage of Jesus. Thus, I'm going to title this particular lesson, Inside the Lineage of Jesus. We're going to see in this uh, that uh, God doesn't hold back. He, he tells us the brutal truth about those who are part of uh, the ancestry, ancestral line of Jesus. Uh, of Jesus. But one of the, I think, overriding points that you're going to see in chapter 38 is this idea that election is not it is a matter of predetermined favor, not salvation. Election has to do more with favor than it does salvation. Calvinists would like for us to believe that everybody who's been elected means that they have been unconditionally saved. God chose you, you're going to go to heaven regardless of what you do. When in fact... Scripture plainly teaches that all of us are elected to one degree or another. The fact that you have a beating heart and can draw in breath this morning, even if you're sitting in a prison cell because you killed somebody, you're still elected because you still got life in you. Election just simply means favor. And so when you go to Romans chapter 9, a passage they love to abuse, Calvinists that is, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either bad or good, in order for God, that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Before they've ever been born, and this, is, this one is, called, is referring to Jacob and Esau, before they're ever born, God had already selected that Jacob is going to be the one who's going to be most favored. Jacob's not going to be the firstborn. Esau is. And yet, Jacob will be the one who is most favored. Does this passage mean that Esau went to hell? No, it does not. This passage just simply says, and it says it here in verse 12, the older Esau will serve the younger Jacob. And so Esau is going to be less favored than Jacob is. And I'm convinced that's exactly what not only Romans 9 is talking about, but in our passage this morning in Genesis chapter 38, you're going to see the same kind of thing. You're going to have another set of twins that are going to be born, but it's interesting how the, the election, selection, favored process takes place. Okay, All right, let's move into that and make some rather difficult conclusions about the lineage of Jesus. First of all, I want you to notice that when God presents the story, he is brutally honest and he even represents it with regards to the carelessness that takes place by Judah. Um, you find this throughout Scripture. God has always been, go back to Noah. Well, go back to the firstborn, or first made man, Adam. We know he messed up. Noah, uh, with regards to getting drunk and all of that. Uh, you, you pedal forward to Abraham. Abraham was a liar. Uh, you, you pedal forward to Jacob, and we know what Jacob did with regards to stealing this from his older brother and all those kind of things that said, 
God peddled forward to David. David, a man after God's own heart. And yet David was not pure. David was not without sin. God doesn't cover things up. He just simply wants to make sure you got get you've got the facts that pertain to the issue so that you can make the proper decisions to come to him. Well, in this particular story, we're going to find a, a great degree of carelessness. Genesis 38, it happened that at that time that Judah went down from his brothers. Notice he's leaving his family, and he's going to go elsewhere. And he turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hera. There Judah saw the daughter of a Canaanite. We're, we're warned throughout Scripture of the, the difficulties that come upon a person, God's person, whenever he marries a Canaanite, because they were a, a pagan culture. And they're going to corrupt your, your morality. And then we're going to see what happens here. Judah saw the daughter of Canaanite, whose name was Shudah, and he took her and he went into her, and he's going to have children by her. Well, later on, you're going to find out that Tamar, who is his daughter-in-law, uh, was told your father-in-law is going, etc., uh, etc. Et she saw that Sheila was grown up, and she had not been given him in marriage. Difficult passage. Ur has a wife, Tamar. Ur is the firstborn of Judah. And Ur is not a good man, so God kills him. Onan is Ur's brother. Onan has the responsibility of raising up children to his brother Ur through Tamar, but he refuses to do so. And so God kills him. Then Judah says, listen, here's what I want you to do, Tamar. Go live with your dad. Go back home, live with him until my other son gets old enough, and I'll give him to you in marriage. So she does so. But the older, other son grows up, and Judah never gives the oldest son to her in marriage. Never doesn't fulfill his promise. And so Tamar takes the situation into her own hands. She plays the part of a prostitute. Judah, her dad-in-law, not knowing who she is, goes in has relationships with her, and conceives twins. And uh, it's really a warped, horrible chapter. But I want you to remember that Jesus is often referred to as the, the one who is the Lion of Judah. Judah is the one who's going to produce the lineage of Christ. And yet there was such carelessness that went on with regards to this. Was Judah elected? Obviously so. Judah's not the firstborn either. And so why Judah? Because God elected him. God chose him for certain favor. But that doesn't mean that Judah's going to be righteous all the time. It doesn't even mean that because he's elected that he's necessarily going to go to heaven. That he's going to be saved. I can't speak as far as Judah is concerned in this particular case. But I know that Pharaoh of Egypt was elected. Sure he was. He was advantaged to become literally the, the leader of the known world at the time. And so in that advantage, God said to Pharaoh, I'm going to put you on the throne. And then initially God even gives Pharaoh the opportunity to make the right choices. He doesn't. And so eventually God gets tired of the whole thing and he begins to harden Pharaoh's heart. But initially, Pharaoh could have made his own decisions. Was, was, was Pharaoh elected? Absolutely. Will Pharaoh be in heaven? I doubt it. And so Calvinism is just a warped, warped, man-made doctrine that we really need to stay away from with regards to election. In this particular case, there is no doubt <clears throat> that Judah is elected. 
He's elected to make sure that the lineage of Jesus continues on. And yet there's no doubt from reading this chapter that Judah was a man who was very careless. And it doesn't end there. Number two, <clears throat> notice that Judah is going to produce two sons, both of which are going to be elect, are going to be executed. Not, well, they were elected too because they got born to Judah, but they were going to, they're going to, so God executes the elected. Firstborn was wicked in the sight of the Lord. The Lord puts him to death. Here's the story of Onan, how he refuses to bring children about for his older brother. And so it says what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And guess what? They're <clears throat> going to put him to death also. First two sons of Judah are going to be killed by God because they're so wicked. Generally speaking, that says something about the parenting. I'll just be honest with you. Both sons, wicked and put to death by God. So the second thing that I would suggest to you is that God is not covering up anything with regards to the lineage of Jesus. We've got folks in the lineage of Jesus who you'd shake your head and you'd say, really? One's a prostitute, Rahab. Another plays the part of the prostitute, Tamar. And these are in the lineage of Jesus. Think about that. God is giving us the evidence boldly, frankly, so that you and I can see the reality of the picture. I think the big one for me as I, as I have worked through this lesson is that I'm convinced that when God looked down upon Eden and he saw that his, his first creation, Adam and Eve, were doing exactly what he told them not to. He was so richly disappointed. You know he was. And at that moment, God had, I think, at least two choices, probably more, but I can only think of two. One, he could destroy them and say, I'm done with this. Or two, he could work within the situation that Adam and Eve had created. I'm thankful that he worked within the situation because had he not, I would not be here. You would not be here. But the one thing that happened at that moment was that God, choosing to work within the context that man had forced upon him, because God decided to stay within that context, it meant that there were going to be some horrible graphic things that were going to take place, shame the, the, the beauty and the purity of heaven by looking down upon it. And one of those things is guys like this that God himself is going to have to execute because they're wicked. But God said, as I work within this system, as ugly as it is, I'm going to love you and I'll do what's necessary, including provide to you the brutal truth about the lineage of Jesus. Number three, there's also election. Now, I use that in my opening, but I, I want you to see this because I, I find it to be really remarkable. Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I since I did not give her my son Sheila and he did not know her again. Now, he's speaking of Tamar here. After he's had his relationship with his daughter-in-law, she conceives, etc. He's saying, she's more righteous than I, given that I, I made her a promise and didn't keep it. She had to go to such great lengths in order to have children, which was a big deal back in the day, all right? Then in verse 27, it says that when the time of her labor, that is, Tamar, had come, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took the hand, and he tied a scar she tied a scarlet thread on his hand. So the first child looks like the first child's coming out the womb first, and so she ties a scarlet because there's twins. And she wants to make sure she gets the right one as far as the firstborn is concerned. But... When that happened, she ties on it saying, this one came out first. But 
as he drew his hand back, behold, his brother comes out. So the one's got the scarlet thread isn't going to be born first. He's going to be born second. And she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was Zerah. All I want you to see here is that how unique this is. The first brother to break the womb, if you will, or to, to, to start coming out of the womb, was actually this guy. But he doesn't fully come out. He only comes out by a hand. But it goes so far as she actually has time to actually tie this, this scarlet ribbon around his, his wrist so that she can identify him as the firstborn. But then, oh dear, what are we going to do? Because he doesn't come out. Instead, he pulls back and his twin brother comes out first. All of that's of God. All of that is called election. Now, well, honestly, we don't have a lot of information about this Perez guy. Uh, if you go and study uh, the book of Matthew and Luke, you'll find that his name is listed there. We don't have a whole lot of information about Perez. But I just want you to understand how this all plays out here. Notice the miraculous nature, it seems to me, with regards to God. The first brother's about to come out, and God says, nope, that's not the one. I want my the lineage of my son to come through Perez. And so he comes, the, that Zira pulls back, and Perez comes out first. But the other thing I want you to notice is that God doesn't cover up the fact that Judah has had relationships with his daughter-in-law, who's playing the prostitute because Judah didn't keep his word. The whole chapter is kind of upside down warped. Considering the holy life of Jesus, the sanctity of who he is, and then looking back upon his lineage, you think to yourself, wow, God is so brutally honest. And I'm so very, very thankful. It also brings this thought to mind because we just finished a series on Catholicism. Catholicism stands on its head to make sure that Jesus gets a pure lineage through Mary. So much so that they assume the, uh, the immaculate conception concept that Mary was born without sin, etc., etc. They, they make up stuff to kind of make sure that Jesus really did get a holy birth here. It didn't, wasn't tainted by original sin, and it, you know, which they also made up, etc., etc. You know? It's so anti-Christ in nature because that's not the way Christ would have pre uh, presented it. It's not the way he presented it. Look what God does here. God isn't trying to hide the background. God isn't trying to somehow edit out the lineage of Christ. He's given us the brutal facts. Unlike Catholicism that thinks that they, they've got to help God out. God says, I'm big enough to do it myself. And God talks about Judah and his carelessness. His two sons that had to be executed because they're horrible uh, indifference to who God was and, and their wickedness. And then the election of this Perez instead of Zira being the one who would carry on the, the lineage of Christ. It's just amazing to me. Major application. God's transparency points to an honest account, not a censored one. There's a lot of reasons, and I often speak on this subject as well, but there's a lot of reasons you can trust the Bible. But this is just one of the big ones here. God is brutally honest. Even the great heroes who are listed within the Hall of Faith, as we like to call it there in the book of Hebrews, even those fellas, many of them, if you study their background, you find they weren't, they weren't pure, totally righteous, perfect individuals, and God let us know that. God's transparency should tell you he's being honest. It's not a censored one. 
He's telling you the facts that you need to know in order to get to him. Pay attention. Here are the five questions that I put together for that particular lesson. This is interesting to see Tamar, the woman who played the prostitute. Notice, can be listed in our chapter, and then if you study these two chapters, you're going to find that Perez is going to be listed there also. Screenshot that. You got it? 